Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let me pray. Father God, we've just sung that we are set apart for you, our master, and that we're ready to do your will. And so we pray now that that would be true as we focus on what you have to say to us now as our master. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize in advance. I'm going to use a dirty word that is not really appropriate for a Sunday evening. Monday. I'm sorry. I know. I know. We are here tonight and we are pretending that it's not coming. But sooner or later, Monday is going to come around again and we're going to have to face it. I know I'm only slightly joking. It is very easy to slip into that way of thinking, isn't it? That Monday is this other life, this other thing. Sunday, well, that's for God, maybe bits of it anyway. Our working week, though, our regular rest of the time is not. And depending on our point of view, that either makes it a bit more fun or feel a little bit grubby and a bit unspiritual. And neither of those things is the right approach. We've been hearing, haven't we, over the last number of weeks in Colossians about how Jesus is utterly supreme over everybody and over everything. We've been told in chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Jesus is the Lord over the whole of our lives, not just the religious bits. Monday to Friday, nine to five, and every other hour, we spend a third of our life at work. We need to figure out how we're going to live for Jesus there, whether that's on a bleary-eyed Monday morning or a Thursday afternoon that seems to go on forever. We need to continue in Christ, as we've been encouraged to do these past few weeks, by faith in him, put into action each day. Uh, And that's what we saw last week as we were focusing on how Jesus transforms our everyday relationships. In contrast to the false teachers uh, who were trying to get them to focus on special days and religious rituals, we were saying, no, true spirituality is seven days a week, every moment of the day. And we looked last week at how that works at home between wives and husbands, between children and parents. Well, today we're looking at the next set of everyday relationships between workers and bosses. We're going to zoom in on that one and spend the whole of our time looking at life with Jesus at work. But before I get stuck in, I just want to say why this is relevant to all of us, because some of us here tonight don't have paid jobs. As John was saying earlier in his prayer, it might be that you're retired It might be that you're a homemaker. It might be that you are unemployed. It might be that you're at school or at university. 
But we all need to think about this so that if we do ever have a formal job job, we've thought about it, we're ready for it, so that we can pray for and support people we know who are in their jobs, in their work situations. But also because many of us, even without paid employment, are in very similar situations to this very, very often. For example, retired people. How many of you have actually stopped working? (laughs) Has work just changed? You work in different ways. Perhaps volunteering somewhere. There's somebody there who's in charge. How should we relate to people in charge? Or all of us, perhaps we hire somebody to do a job for us, a a plumber, a builder, a gardener, somebody like that. We're in a semi-boss-like position, aren't we, when we're in that situation? How should we treat those who work for us, even if we're not actually their master or their boss or anything like that? Even if we're at school, some of this might carry across to the pupil and teacher relationship. Someone who is in charge, who is officially supposed to be telling you what you're going to do, how does that work? For Christians. It's not exactly the same, but there's things we can learn here, like we were thinking about in marriage and we were thinking about in parenting. There's lots of principles here that apply uh, across the board for how we should get on in our everyday lives. And we just need to take a bit of time, perhaps, to think, well, how does this apply to me in my situation? Even in using the terms worker and boss, we're having to make a few adjustments to apply this passage to our modern world. You would have heard that and read that. that It says slaves and masters. Now, some of you with jobs might see your boss as something of a slave driver, but I imagine they're not actually. (laughs) I'm not looking at you, John. Why are you doing it? I'm joking, Mark. I'm joking, Nikki. Uh, It's funny when you actually have people and their employers in the same room. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I shouldn't have drawn attention to that. But you see that how these people were actual slaves, in that actual situation. Slavery was very common back then in the Roman Empire. In Rome itself, slaves made up about 25 to 40% of the population. Somewhere like Colossae, a big city like that, it probably would have been about a third of the people who lived there would have been slaves, with probably another third as former slaves. Now, slavery was bad, obviously, but we mustn't think of it as exactly the same as the transatlantic slave trade uh, of Africans taken to America. It wasn't the same thing. Roman slavery wasn't based on race. Uh, It was equal opportunities. Anyone can be a slave. Slavery wasn't always lifelong either. Many slaves had high positions. You could be a doctor and be a slave. If you were the slave of an important person, you may be much more important than the less important people. So for many, it was a kind of job albeit unpaid. But for many, it was miserable. There were no legal protections. There was very little respect. It was immensely worse than our jobs. And we'll talk a bit later about the issue of slavery. But I suppose it's, it's worth just making that point early on that being an employee is not the same as being a slave. But if they, in that strained and horrible relationship, could relate to their bosses like that, how much more can we, in our situation, uh, do the same? So we're going to zoom in on that particular workers and bosses relationship to see what it looks like when Jesus transforms our working life. First of all, Paul addresses the slaves 
And he says this, workers obey the boss. Workers obey the boss. Verse 22, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. So at work, the boss is the boss and workers should do as they're asked. Now I know that's easier said than done. I wonder what your colleagues would make of this or what they would have made of it when you were at work. If you said, hey guys, I was just thinking, what if we all obey the boss? Wouldn't that be a nice change? It, it might not go down very, very well other than with the boss. And the reason for that is because we don't want people in charge of us. We thought about this last week, about how obedience to anybody is not something we like to do. We do not want God to be in charge. We do not want anybody else to be in charge. But this is teaching us that there are situations in life where God has built the world this way with certain people having authority. And within those bounds, the godly thing to do, the way to keep following Jesus, is to respect that and to go along with it, whether or not the boss is a believer. Sometimes when the boss is a Christian, people start to take the mick. I used to work in a shop uh, run by a Christian lady. Various teenagers from church would get jobs there. This stuff applies to Saturday jobs as well. Uh, and I can remember people saying when they were late, quite a lot, not me, but when they were late, what, it was me as well, but these people would say, well, what's the worst that can happen? She's got to forgive me, hasn't she? People from church would say that. People not from church would say that. Well, she's a lovely Christian lady. What's 20 minutes between friends? Now, that's spectacularly missing the point, isn't it? That because the boss is nice, we're not going to be nice? How does that work? No, that is not a Christian view of work. In this new Christian household that's being described here, workers obey the boss. That's what it looks like to live for Jesus at work. We're called to obey in everything. That is, in everything related to your job. So there aren't bits of your job you just stop doing. The boring bits, the unpleasant bits. There aren't areas of work where you do what you want to do and not what you've been asked to do. Anything where someone has a right to manage or supervise you on, let them do that. Now, this is one of the differences between modern-day work and slavery. Slave owners were the boss of everything in their slave's life. That's not the case for us. Our boss is only the boss at work, not over everything. And if we don't want to do the work, we don't want to follow their instructions, we're free to leave. We don't have to obey the boss no matter what forever. We can quit. We can go and work somewhere else. I left a very miserable job once because of precisely this. I suddenly realized I'm not a slave. I don't have to stay here. And so I left. But if we're going to stay, then we need to let the boss be the boss. We're not trying to start a mutiny. We're not trying to take over command. You might be in a situation where you are not happy with the way things are done. Well, there are ways probably, hopefully, to make those concerns known, proper procedures for things, proper channels for negotiating uh, what you do, how you do it, when you do it, contracts to obey and point to, even if your boss is not sticking to those. By all means, let's use those things which have been put there to protect us. 
but let's use them like a believer. Remember, Jesus is transforming us and our relationships. So we aren't going in there with that same attitude of, I'm going to show them who's boss. Well, we've already established who's boss. Jesus is trying to transform our relationships, transform our hearts. So that comes out not just in certain relationships, but in all our relationships. We ought to want to forgive. We ought not to be spreading gossip, speaking badly of others. We ought to show respect, even when we disagree strongly. This might look very different from workplace to workplace, but the principle to keep coming back to is what's going to uphold this principle most of workers obeying the boss? Now, that's fine. It's unpopular, but it's fine when we're talking about jobs. But what about actual slavery? That might be a question that as we were reading this through, you think, hang on a minute. Is this passage pro-slavery, saying it is a good thing for one person to own another person and tell them what to do, and that person just has to do it? This is very controversial stuff. The simple answer to that is no, the Bible does not endorse slavery, but neither is it as simple as just telling slaves not to obey their masters. It's a more complicated picture than that. If we uh, take a step back, the story of the Bible is the story of God setting people free. You think about the classic rescue story in the Bible, it's the Exodus, when he saved Israel from slavery. And time and again through the Bible, God is on the side of the oppressed working for their freedom, not on the side of the oppressor helping them keep other people down. The Old Testament law gives the death penalty to anybody who is kidnapping people to sell into slavery. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 1 puts slave traders on a list of ungodly and sinful people. It calls slave trading contrary to sound doctrine. It goes against God's word. Slaves are told that if they can gain their freedom, they should do so. 1 Corinthians 7. But the Bible's also realistic. It deals with the world as it is, not just as we would like it to be. In a world where slavery exists, how should people behave? Christians had no power. They were a small minority scattered across a big empire. They had no rights. Even slave masters weren't allowed to just set their slaves free. Society would collapse. So if Paul had said, slaves... Rise up against your oppressors. Masters, abolish slavery. All that would have happened would have been a lot of riots, a lot of masters put in prison, a lot of slaves killed. Christianity would have been seen as disrupting society. And so, no, the Bible doesn't outright say, end it. But it does something much more subtle and ultimately much more effective. It puts in place truths which inevitably lead to the collapse of slavery, even while at the same time allowing people to live in the meantime while it still exists. What, what I mean is that the end of slavery came about when people took to heart Colossians chapter 3. Have a look back at verse 11. It's describing uh, life in Christ, life in the church. Here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, 
but Christ is all and is in all. Saying in Christ we are utterly united. Slaves and free people are one in Jesus, completely equal in value, in dignity. Just like racism is dismantled in this verse as well. Jew and Gentile and barbarian and Scythian, those labels don't define us anymore. Who are we? First and foremost, we belong to Jesus. We're in Christ. That's who we are before we are any of the other things we are, before we are our job, before we are a slave, before we are a master, before we are a Scythian, before we are English or Welsh or whatever we are. The gospel does more than just end slavery. It reconciles enemies. It pulls these two people who would have been at odds with one another and says, we can come together in Christ. It's because of Jesus that Martin Luther King Jr. could say in his famous speech, I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. Colossians 3 is actually envisaging that happening not just with their sons, but right in the middle of the mess with the slaves and the masters themselves able to sit around the same table together. The slaves and the masters united in Christ. And that's why eventually Christians did eradicate slavery across the Roman Empire. Why wherever Christianity spread, slavery disappeared soon after. Why when it flared up again in the awful transatlantic slave trade, it was Christians who ended it again. See, passages like this don't condone slavery. They undermine the whole thing. All the structures that it's built on are undermined. You see, ancient records don't list slaves among the household or among the workforce. They list them among the tools and equipment. They were less than people. And yet here they are alongside the rest of the family being told how they too can live to please God. The shameful position of being a slave is given a new dignity because we have a new master. We miss something of this in English, but the word for Lord and the word for master in this passage are the same word. So let me read the passage again. I'm going to switch out both those words for boss. Slaves. Obey your earthly bosses in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the boss. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the boss, not for human bosses, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the boss as a reward. It is the boss, Christ, you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Bosses. Provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a boss in heaven. Doesn't that change things when we see that our bosses are only our earthly masters? The overall boss, the senior manager, the CEO, the head honcho, top of the corporate structure is Jesus. We work for him. Whatever our job is, whatever task we're doing, whether we are paid or not, We're doing it for Jesus. I wonder if if in your mind there is a hierarchy of jobs. At the top, 
you've got missionaries and pastors and things like that. And they're the ones who are really serving God. And then below that, you might have the caring professions. We've got doctors and nurses and teachers and stuff like that. And they help people, so they must be really holy. And then below that is all the other jobs. And yeah, sure, they pay the bills, but it's hardly serving the Lord, is it? Well, this bit of the Bible shows what rubbish that is, doesn't it? In verse 23, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So unless your job is sinning for money, prostitute, assassin, burglar, your job can be done to the glory of God. You don't need to change the world. You can just serve Jesus by doing your job. The reformer Martin Luther wrote this, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Isn't that great? Workers obey the boss because your boss is Jesus. That is why you work hard. That is why you do it with all your heart. That is why you keep going, even if you go, I don't really know who my boss even is. I'm sort of somewhere, I don't know. You do know who your boss is. It's Jesus. That's why we do it, verse 22, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. It can be tempting to do the bare minimum. It's just enough to not get fired. Just enough to not get noticed or get in trouble. If the boss isn't even going to know either way, what's the point? I used to know somebody who used the phrase working from home in inverted commas and they would do a lot of quotes to mean taking a day off without actually taking it out of his holiday. Now, I'm sure that now everybody works from home. Nobody's doing that now, surely, are they? Working from home. But even when you are where the boss is, it's tempting to only do things that will get noticed, not do the work uh, when it won't get noticed. Saying that you've done things that you haven't done. They won't know either way. Or saying that you are waiting to hear what somebody else I used to actually work with who would not do anything until someone says, have you done the such and such? And they go, yeah, I've done it. And then they do it because they were like, the only bits that are worth doing are the bits I'm actually going to get asked for. So I don't do nine out of ten of things. I just do the one when someone reminds me that I haven't done it yet. It's quite clever, but it's not good, is it? Being someone who closes the browser window constantly when somebody walks in. Oh, hi, yes, no, I was just doing this. Pick up the broom when the door opens and then put it back again when you realize it's not them. Michelangelo took four and a half years painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Apparently it left him with a permanently bent neck from being on these scaffolding things. It, it ruined his eyesight. And uh, over, afterwards, people would ask him why he bothered painting even the little dark corners that nobody will ever see. God will see, was his reply. God will see it. 
So whether we paint the Sistine Chapel or service people's boilers, those details, those little details, God sees it. And as a good boss, he rewards it. You see, verse 24 speaks about working with all your heart since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The hard work will pay off in the end. We get so discouraged, don't we, if you're in a job where the pay is bad or where nobody says thank you. Slaves got nothing, but God rewards the faithful worker. What does it mean for us to set our minds on things above when we're in the nitty-gritty of our everyday lives? Well, here it means keeping our eyes on payday, on that day in the end when Jesus reimburses us for all of the unseen and unnoticed work that we've done for him. Are we focused on that payday? Those of us with unpaid jobs, are you working wholeheartedly knowing that you will be remunerated eventually? Payday is coming. But there is also a warning as well in verse 25. We're told anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. It won't all be rewards. The wrong that we've done is also going to get sorted out. At the end of time, there will be a final appraisal and it will be totally fair. When you think of Judgment Day, you think God looking over your life. I wonder, do you think about it in very religious terms? Or about what we've actually done in our everyday lives? We are not going to be saved by how good we were at our jobs. But the way we are, even at work, is going to be part of the evidence that he has been at work in us. So in that final appraisal, it won't all be about how you've done on being on the rotor on Sundays and how regular you were with your quiet time. It'll be things like there was that invoice that you sent to the wrong customer, but you spotted it and you sent them a very professional email and you got it sorted out nice and quick. Well done, good and faithful servant. There was that one client who was really awkward and you could have just down tools and stormed out many times, but you stayed on the job and you didn't skimp on the quality and you didn't even moan about her when you got back to the depot. Well done, good and faithful servant. It is him that we are really working for, whatever it is that we're spending our time doing. So let's work hard, let's work honestly, let's obey the boss. It's then the bosses who get addressed next. The bosses are not beyond being told what to do. And they are told, bosses, treat workers fairly. Treat workers fairly. That's chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. There isn't as much said about bosses, so this point is shorter. (laughs) There's only one verse here, probably because the church would have been made up of more slaves than masters. Christianity was not a high-class thing, a high-status thing. But in case there were any Christians who were rich enough to have a slave, the instructions are clear. Treat them fairly. Provide your slaves with what is right and fair. It may well be that what is right and fair is to give them their freedom. But either way... Give them what is right 
and fair. Being a slave back then meant you had no rights. You were not a citizen. It was very easy to exploit them. Slaves were the master's property. If the master wanted to abuse them or treat them harshly, that was up to them how they used their own stuff. It might make more sense to be nice to your slaves because they're quite expensive. They're a pain to replace. But many slave owners didn't care about that and treated their slaves abysmally. And this is saying, shouldn't be like that among Christians. It shouldn't be like that. In a world-changing statement, really, masters are told that whatever the law says, whether the slaves have any legal rights or not, there is a right and fair way to treat them. In God's eyes, these workers are important. They deserve humane treatment. And so bosses should treat them fairly. Once again, this fits in with what we saw last week, didn't we? About how authority is a good gift from God. That he gives that gift of authority to some people, not as a gift to them, but as a gift to the people they lead. Authority is not given to us for our benefit. It's supposed to be used to serve other people, the people we have authority over. Just like how Jesus uses his authority. Some of the kids this morning in junior church got uh, WWJD bands for remembering their memory verses and things like that. I don't know how many have still got them on uh, today. Um, But they got those this morning. It is actually a good question to ask if you are a boss in any way, shape or form. If you are a supervisor, if you are a line manager, if there is anything where you have responsibility for other members of staff. What would Jesus do here? How would Jesus run this office? How would Jesus be the master here? How would Jesus organize the rotor? How would Jesus sort out how much people get paid? Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. In our culture, workers have rights. There are laws protecting them, guaranteeing that they get what's right and fair. Well, if it's up to us in any way, shape or form, We've got to abide by those things. In fact, the world's ways of doing things should probably be a floor rather than a ceiling. They're they're a minimum standard that we happily go above and beyond. Let's not be stingy people as if Jesus is stingy. Let's not try and squeeze every last drop of blood out of people as if that's how Jesus treats us. If their contract says a certain number of hours, that's what it means. Don't force them to go over. If they're entitled to breaks, entitled to holiday, make sure they get them. Make sure they're well provided for. Christians should be the best bosses, the most understanding, the most generous, the most fair, the most appreciative. Is that always the case? Or can Christians get a bad reputation for how they treat other people at work? In my experience, um, pastoring people over the years, especially men, but not exclusively, one of the biggest stresses people face in life is dealing with an inconsiderate or incompetent boss. Often both. A good manager can be like a breath of fresh air. A bad manager can destroy somebody's health, destroy somebody's quality of life. If you have the opportunity to be that breath of fresh air, do that. You might have heard about the anti-work movement. You come across this, this online group. Sometimes every now and again you get news articles about this anti-work group. They are a group of people online saying they're fed up with how so many companies are run in a way that shows contempt for their employees. 
Now, some of what they say is absolutely bonkers, as if we should be paid for doing literally nothing. But many of their stories are just heartbreaking, as you read of people who are being exploited and manipulated and having the blame shifted onto them. Things like anti-work wouldn't exist if bosses just did this. Just treat them fair and square. And bosses are given a reason for doing that as well. It is because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So even if you are top of the food chain in your company, even if you are self-employed, there is always someone more senior to you at work. Jesus, Jesus is not just the master of the slaves. He's the master of the masters. The second heading of our sermon could also be bosses obey the boss with a capital B. Because even the master is a slave of Christ. Contrary to what slavery taught, contrary to how many workplaces still operate, bosses are not better than their workers. They should obey you because, not because they're different, but because they're the same. Because they are equal and united. And all the more so if you are both Christians, you are equal and united in Christ, just with a different job. Verse 24 and 25, they talk about Jesus dishing out rewards and penalties. Well, that goes for bosses as well. No favoritism means that your job title will be irrelevant in that final employment tribunal. It's only going to be your faith in Jesus showing it in action by how you treat people at work. Workers obeying the boss by obeying their boss. Masters obeying the boss by treating their workers fairly. Now, I said it at the start, I will say it again, Monday. What difference is this going to make tomorrow? Whether we're workers, whether we're bosses, retired, at home, unemployed, at school, what difference is it going to make knowing that whatever we do, we do it for Jesus? What needs to change? It might be that we need to talk with one another. Maybe you need to get some advice. Maybe you need to chat. Maybe you think, I've not really thought about this. I, I've, now that I, maybe I did think about this when I heard sermons on this passage when I used to have a job. Now I'm retired and I haven't really thought about this again. Or I haven't thought about this for a long time. Chat with one another and think about these principles and, and take time to apply them to your unique situation. But we do need to apply them because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of your office, of your classroom, of your staff room, of your workshop or your warehouse or your field or your building site or your barracks or your boardroom or your factory or your forecourt or wherever it is you're going to be tomorrow, there it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Imagine if people actually acted like this tomorrow. What would the non-Christians around you make of it? Not the theory, they might not like the theory, but actually seeing it in action. If your bosses or those responsible for you saw this and thought, if this is what Jesus does to people, I wish all my workers were Christians. <laughs> workers realizing you don't treat them the way that the other people in charge treat them. Seeing something of Jesus in the way you lead your team. These are small things and yet... They can change the world as Jesus transforms our everyday relationships 
even at work. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a great master, that you love us, that you use your authority to serve. We thank you that you care about all of our lives and not just certain parts. So please would you help us that whatever we're doing for a living, however it is we're spending our days, to do it for you. For those of us with unbelieving co-workers, make us good witnesses in the things that we do and say. Help us to serve you with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.